How are you doing this morning, Dave? Very well, gentlemen. Well rested after, I don't know, six hours of sleep or five hours of sleep or whatever it was. I feel like a morning radio guy. I'm up bright and early and I'm coming off the high of a big win. And and it was fun last night. It was fun because all of the things were happening that are going to happen down a playoff run stretch. And including the way the game shaped out, including the way they started. I think the day off in Seattle, having that extra day was really, really important. How nice really is that, Pooley, with the, as you said, with the three-hour time change? I know it's crazy, but after the clunker Monday night, yeah, what, did this not just set up perfectly to just reset and get ready to tackle the three-hour time change? Yeah, no question about it. And there's, yeah, I, I think there's still something fresh about going to Seattle for the guys. And by the way, I haven't made that trip yet, so I haven't seen that building. Craig Button generally does the games out there uh, with Brian Mudrick on the West Coast, so I don't make that that northern uh, west swing that often. So I haven't been in the building, but I think it's a, it's, it's still so fresh for the guys and, and getting out of Chicago and getting in there and getting a couple of days to really settle in, I think was a factor. And then the game took over and the way it started couldn't have been better, just was energized. And, and then even the way, Seattle came back. It wasn't like Seattle was dominating. They got a couple of bounces and they took advantage of them. There were two pucks I didn't like. Um, there would be the, I think the second and the fourth goals were both plays where you get a faceoff win or you have control of the puck and you make a play up to the high board. Your winger has to handle it. Matthew Joseph didn't handle it the first time and Austin Watson didn't handle it the second on the fourth goal. And those are things that are just little tiny details. So you don't, you know, the puck took bounces both times and went in and you're like, okay, well that wasn't really the factor. The factor is you're in full control of the puck. And, you know, there were guys who took more pride in getting the puck out at the blue line. than They didn't scoring goals because they knew they could do that. And, and I think of guys that would handle pucks around the boards after practice for a half an hour, just making sure no matter what happened, that puck was going out and the defense was paying a price as it was going. But I think the play that Claude Giroux makes on the winning goal is sums up Claude Giroux for the whole year because it wasn't it wasn't the fourth goal, which was the tying goal slap shot. It wasn't, you know, significant in, in terms of flashy or anything. But he goes into the corner and he beats Alexiak, takes it away from him basically. Alexiak is six six, two hundred and forty pounds, guys. And that was impressive. But the way he shields the big man's body as he's coming up the boards, then he runs into Bjorkstrand, and he'll reach out. Watch it on the highlights. It's, it's awesome because as he puts the puck back to the point, he reaches out, the KG veteran, and just gets a piece of Bjorkstrand with his hand and holds him for a split second, and that's what Sanderson get the puck down low. So just an exciting game to win, but all those little details that have to happen for you to win a game happened in Ottawa's favor last night. It was a really, uh, it was a roller coaster of the game with the great start. Uh, then, yeah, yeah. I think the first three goals that Seattle got all were bounces, right? They didn't actually shoot it into the net, but regardless, that's hockey, right? Luck is a huge part of hockey as well. They go down, they go down four three, and you're thinking, you know, early in the third, and you're thinking uh, if you're the Sens, well, you know, and and the fan base, they've blown a three nothing lead, you know, in this in this playoff chase. This is this is going to be incredibly uh, tough defeat. How important was and and I you know I agree with you on the on the Giroux goal on the game winner or a play, but what about the Giroux goal itself on the very next shift after Seattle had uh, had gone ahead? How important? Was that's that? that's 
absolutely huge. And it's, it's, it's the timing, you know, when the announcer doesn't have the first goal called and you're scoring the second goal, that it's good. <laughs> and, and it was Stutzel who makes the play, right? He, he gets in on the forecheck and makes the play and steals the puck with his stick. Your best players have to do that. And I took so much pride in being put on the ice after a goal for or against. And I think those are the most important shifts of the game because you can't, you, if you've been scored against, you're trying to get one back. If you've scored a goal, you're not giving one up. And I think those are special shifts to be chosen for. And it's not just who's up next. I think those are shifts that, that should be controlled by a coach. And that's where you can break up the rotation and put out five guys who you say, you know, we're going to get you right back in the game. And it was Stutzel and Giroux who did it. Uh, uh, JR pointed out in the first hour, just talking about the deactivating. We had Hamannick, of all people, in the high slot against Columbus. Uh, last night, you see Chikorin a couple of times holding. Have you noticed something different in what Ottawa's D are doing? There's more engagement up ice. And I think it's happening on a couple of occasions, um, a couple of different instances, rather. It's, it's happening on wraps. And it doesn't seem like they're bailing out as quickly from up ice. And it's funny because the Chikrin goal, that happened to be Holden who passed it to Chikrin deep in the slot. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, okay, well, that's number five and number six. <laughs> but when you look at the structure there, uh, they've got protection behind them. And the thing I love about it, Simber, is it puts a lot of heat on the forwards. And, and I say that you've got to be responsible. You can't ask the D to go if you're not willing to stay on the backside and protect them on the backside. And I think that's, that's inclusion on defense. That puts a lot of heat on the forwards in a good way. And it frees up the D and defensive structures are so good through the neutral zone. If you don't have a fourth guy joining the play, you can't penetrate. You simply can't. And he doesn't even have to be, touching the puck or in the play. He just has to be filling a, play, a lane and causing a distraction. It's just so important that they get up on the play and they act. It might be a touch pass that they give right back. It might be just taking up space. And, and I, I, it, was, it was interesting because that hold and little tap pass to Chikrin was like, okay, someone's in the wrong place here really quickly. But then when the, when the big screen comes out a little bit wider, you're like, nope, everybody's in good shape. Do you think that's the uh, the the and, and I I probably noticed it within the last ten to fifteen games because I, I started noticing Zub down in front of the opposition net. Uh, Brandstrom has become much more engaged, uh, you know, down low. We're used to it with Shabbat and Sanderson, but it's everybody now. Do you believe this is just part of the natural evolution uh, of of DJ Smith kind of introducing a new system as they're going along and the players are maturing, or was this the coaching staff kind of recognizing we just need to do something different? Uh, in, in in order to uh, keep scoring goals. If you think about it, the challenge through that stage you're talking about was five-on-five five goals. The team was not scoring five-on-five five goals. The power play, I think, was up to number two in the league at one point. So the success was coming off the strength of the power play. So I do believe it was a conscious effort. I also believe it was getting everybody back healthy because at some point through the early part of the season, there was, I think, a pretty much a defenseman out at all points. Was there not of that top group you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Zub was out at one point. Um, certainly Sanderson was out at some point. So I think getting everybody back, getting healthy, it maybe is most noticeable with Brandstrom because you think that's the type of play he has to be involved in. I still marvel. I was talking to Gord in Chicago on Monday night. And when Brandstrom gets a scoring opportunity, I'm still, has he still got three goals in his entire career? Mm-hmm. Like, how is that possible? 
that that a player you know that seems to be up ice and involved as much as he is hasn't scored more goals so it's more noticeable with him because you're expecting it of him you're not necessarily expecting it of Nick Holden and yet Holden looks comfortable with Chickering guys and and I know we talked about where Chickering fits and you know where this all goes but he looks comfortable in that pairing and it leaves the other guys together right now so It'll be interesting. It's a challenge right now for Bramstrom to get back in, but it may be situational, you know, back-to-back or however it plays out. And to that, Pooley, as you evolve as a better team, more ozone time, do you think that's something that Shabbat in particular can improve on is not not breaking the play so quickly? Like, I'm watching Chickering yesterday. You know, there's a real kind of thing of not forcing it, but at the same time holding your pattern, almost like you're a pilot, right? It's like, listen, I'm in the slot area here. Don't peel off too quickly, where I feel like Shabbat a lot of times is so quick to get in the zone, but also so quick to get back. Well, I think that's, you know, from, he was a little bit on an island when he would have been the only guy that you looked at as an offensive defenseman. And when you're the only one, I think you feel that responsibility. And when that's your cachet, right? Your cachet is you're the guy that's going. I think you feel more heat. Now that he sees everybody doing it, and by the way, when everybody's doing it, that's back to the responsibility on the forwards to cover. You know there's a good chance that Chickwin's going to be up ice, guys. And you know that Sanderson has no qualms about being up ice. But to see all of the guys involved and all of the guys comfortable in doing it flips the pressure to the defense and makes – or flips the pressure to the, to the forwards. But it makes the defenseman more comfortable, too, because you know you're going to get protection there. Ottawa moves on for a pair of games this weekend. It's never easy to to, to play and win on the road, period, um, uh, let alone uh, play back-to-back. So let's start with what they'll see Saturday night uh, in Vancouver. Uh, do you see, um, I mean, the results are certainly better, but do you see a a better uh, Vancouver team under Rick Tockett than under Bruce Boudreaux? Yes. Yes, I do. And I watched them pretty closely because of my my friendship with Rick, you know, it goes back a long way. And we were, we roomed together for a number of years in Philly. And, you know, he was a young 20 year old and I was played the mentor role for him uh, early on. And and we were very tight and we've stayed tight over the years. So you watch the team differently. Um, But I do think it's a fair answer for me to even with a bias to say yes, because they are playing better. And, you know, interestingly enough, you know, two of the names that we heard from the outside as, you know, being at odds with each other where we're number 40 and number nine, Pedersen and Miller. Well, what do you do when that's the case? I mean, this is almost, you know, the high school teacher making them sit together in class. Uh, he's playing them together a lot and shorthanded in particular to score shorthanded like every game <laughs> and two one night and they're doing it together. So I think that's an interesting move, but they are playing more structured and, and they're just playing better playing simpler and playing better and playing on the defensive side of things. And, you know, obviously getting Demko back is a factor for that team. Um, Doesn't it seem like Miller's way, way more engaged now? Like to like talk, it has gotten to him. Totally. It totally does. And, you know, he would take that as a personal challenge. I mean, Rick, Rick would take that and say, okay, you know, I mean, this is a guy that, that I'm going to pinpoint because I know how important he is to the team. And, you know, he was the, he was essentially, you know, you're singled out when you sign a long-term deal and then your captain is traded because there's not enough money left. Mm. And so you're really singled out and you had a monster year last year. 
but you're not doing it again. And it seems to be in disarray, but it does seem to me like he is way more engaged uh, without a question and how effective he is when he is engaged and how he expects to be the guy. And I don't know if you saw the overtime goal against Anaheim. He essentially said at that point in the game, like, get out of the way. I'm, I'm going to score a goal here. Like it wasn't, you know, it was so clear that he was taking over that game at that point and blew that puck um, right up over the shoulder uh, of the Anaheim goalie. And it was like, holy smokes, he just totally dominated. And, you know, it was docile and then just said, I'm scoring a goal here. So when you have the leaders on the team, and don't forget, they lost some players from that team too. They lost Luke and they lost... Um, Bo Horvat, and, you know, made some changes, but it appears to be a tighter group. They're a couple games over 500, and they're hard out. Even the games they've lost, they're they're involved in. And Pooley, going back to that in Arizona, did we maybe underrate the work of Rick Tockett because they were very organized, very hardworking, and people said, "Oh, they play a defensive style." Well, hey, he had no no offensive players, and now in Vancouver, when you look at that core, if you bring that same structure and attention to detail, that should be a pretty good hockey team. Well, they've got way more pieces than he yeah. had to work with in, in Arizona, no question. And I think of the bubble when his that team was arguably at their best when they sort of peaked up for that. But, you know, this is the first opportunity, I believe, that he's had with a team with this type of talent. You know, his first uh, shot at head coaching was in Tampa and when that team was in disarray. And, and then – but. You know, how much he grew in Pittsburgh in the number two role and the role that he was allowed to play there as the Sid Whisper or whatever it would be in the way he, he was effective with Malkin and, and Kessel in particular. And the role he played for Mike Sullivan was pretty well noted. Uh, Edmonton for, uh, becomes the first team to come back to and beat Boston when the Bruins score the first goal of the game and also uh, the first time the Bruins have lost when having a lead after second uh, the second period. Is that a bigger deal for Boston or a bigger deal for Edmonton? Oh, I think it is for Edmonton. Um, you know, I think Boston's going to be just fine and they look just fine. But you, So I'm a hockey fan. You guys are hockey fans and, and we watch a lot of games. And But last night was a game that you're like, okay, well, I, I got to watch this game. This has to be on and I have to watch it because of, of, you know, the guns on Edmonton and, and playing against Boston in Boston where they just don't lose in regulation. So it was a fun game to watch. There was, it was back and forth and up and down and, and really fun to watch. But I think that's a much bigger statement for Edmonton to be able to go into that building and do something that, just hasn't been done this year against a good team. And it wasn't like Boston didn't play well. They did play well. And and Skinner gets a start. And, you know, coming out of the trade deadline, the only loss that Edmonton has was a 7-5 game in which Jack Campbell was flat out not very good. And that's the only game he's played, you know, through that stretch. It's Ben Skinner that's been the guy. And, you know, on trade deadline day, I picked Edmonton and Matias Ekholm as as the most significant move because it was so much what they needed. And you, you, okay, well, Boston made some good moves, but did Boston, you know, they didn't need Orlov like Edmonton needed a big defensive defenseman. And particularly at the start of that game, Ekholm was so impactful in that game last night. I mean, he was big and he was strong and he was impactful. And that's something that they haven't had on the defensive side. I think it takes a huge, huge burden off of, Darnell Nurse in terms of matchups on the left side. Nurse ends up scoring the winning goal, but um, Ekholm was a factor all the way across the box course. 
I guess Skinner, because of his lack of experience, uh, Pooley's a bit of a wild card, but do the skaters set up as the um, best well uh, all-round Edmonton team that we've seen in a long time? I think it is. I think it's the most balanced. I think the addition of, of Ekholm lets that happen. But now Kane is back, and I wasn't a big fan of that signing, guys. Um, but he's a piece of that team, and he's effective, and they seem to be able to to keep him in a good place. Zach Hyman is what Zach Hyman is. The numbers he's put up are, I never, ever thought I would say that about Zach Hyman from an offensive standpoint. And when he first came in, you know, in, in Toronto, it was fashionable to criticize him being a top six forward because he just didn't have the components. But boy, is he just stomped past all of that. This is the deepest team by far. I know also you're not a huge fan of R&H, and I'm not either kind of set up as, a, you know, the contract. going to have 100 points. Yeah, but, yeah, but you, is he doing something different, Pooley, that you're more comfortable going into the playoffs? Because, sure, it's great that he has the points, but is he going to be able to play that style come playoff time the two-way? I think he is. I think he's grown more as a player than, than a, you know, he's, he's another one that I thought if you wanted to change your hockey team, that was the way you could change it. You could take those $6 million and do something differently with it. And I know, you know, he he chose to stay probably a little bit of a discount and they chose to keep him on a term. And to me, the the interest in changing their team, you just didn't change your team. And yet they've been able to get past that. And that's a pretty good manager out there in Kenny Holland. And, and he, you know, he's on the inside. He knows what's going on. He knows how important Nugent Hopkins was to that team. But yeah, he's 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 absolutely been terrific this year for them all right let's end with uh thoughts on what may or may not uh be going on in uh, philadelphia there's some uh some chatter out there on social media that potentially there could be uh, a move of significance uh with the flyers uh today so i'll ask you first and foremost have you heard anything uh, any rumblings uh whatsoever um and uh even if you haven't do you feel like whether it's now or whether it's into the off season uh, that the potential is there for uh for some change in philadelphia I think change is inevitable, guys. I was in two weeks ago on a Friday night, and, and Montreal manhandled the Flyers that night, and the building wasn't full on a Friday night, you know, in early March or late February, early March. Or, and it, it was just watching it, it felt like change was inevitable. It just does. Now, what that means, I don't know, and, and I don't think anybody is quite certain. There have been, there have been rumbles coming out of there, and you know, and I still know a lot of people in the area, and so I, you know, you hear things, but I haven't heard from from anything near an accurate source that there would be change or what the timing of the change will be. But I, they can't continue like they're continuing um, unless there's a plan in place that hasn't been introduced to us yet about what's going to happen. It, it doesn't look like when you, when you watch teams now. We've talked about Ottawa. I've talked to you guys about Montreal. How you feel like there's a plan in place that's really definitive and even in chicago guys you know we talked about um on monday in chicago at the morning skate you know that was a different feeling than i felt in chicago when when you know pre-patrick kane and pre-jonathan taves like it feels like there's a plan in place i'm not sure that that's the same feeling in philadelphia right now and when that happens then it's just a matter of if if change is going to happen what that means and what direction it goes in um, but it appears that as the team continues to play like they're playing, um, that, that it would be inevitable. I was talking the last hour about how the talk has always been around the Flyers in particular, that the fan base there, that, and maybe it was under Ed Snyder, this was the feeling that they would never accept a, a, you know, a total tear down, tear down and, a, and a rebuild in the time that it would take. 
And yet I look at what happens uh, uh, with the 76ers who share the, the arena with, and nobody underwent a, lo- a, a, a bigger and a longer teardown than the process, as they called it, uh, with the 76ers. Is that indeed the truth, that the Flyers, at least under Ed Seidner, and maybe now the fan base just won't accept um, you know what seems like should be the course of action in Philadelphia? I, I don't believe so. I, I believe they will now. I, I think it's, you know, back then it wasn't the terminology anyone used, um, that, that it was a planned teardown. I think Jeff Gordon's letter in 2018 was brilliant in New York, and it accelerated faster than, than he even thought it was going to. But I don't think that's the case. You know, I was there. The ultimate turnover to me was when I was there, and it was Bob Clark retired. And, you know, he was still an effective player, and he retired to take over, and that would have been working closely with Mr. Snyder, and that was the plan. And you think about the sacrifice he made as a player, because that guy would have he might still be playing if it was his choice <laughs> and he might, I mean, he loved playing that much and, you know, to take the skates off him, but he made the sacrifice himself of stepping out, knowing that the team wouldn't change when he was still playing. So, you know, he, he's still a part of it on a consulting basis on a senior consultant basis. And, and he would know that and they've tried to patch it together. It hasn't worked. It simply hasn't worked. And inevitably, it is going to have to change to a larger degree. It's funny, Pooley, they're back where they were with Russ Farwell right before they made the Lindros deal, right? It was just kind of a lost all, of, you know, the Broad Street bully, all of the kind of the team. But also to that, uh, and again, I don't think you put the fault on Holmgren and Clark and other people, but are they at the spot where Edmonton was at a few years ago where you finally have to, you know, go? And well, I think you should be the manager. I mean that sincerely, but... You have to kind of just almost clear all that away. And, and, you know, because a lot of the negativity is attached to, let's see, old Flyers way. Well, it is, it it hasn't changed drastically enough. And, you know, and so you don't know what elements are in there. They they brought a different manager in and Chuck Fletcher, but it hasn't worked out. It just hasn't, Simran. So when that's the case, a very different ownership in there now and different leadership at the top in Valerie Camel, Camel rather, who came over from the baseball side and uh, with the uh, Washington Nationals. And so there has been change right at the top, but their focus initially was changing the building. And, you know, because I went in and they said, well, this is really great. We, you know, we did the fan studies and, you know, they've changed the suites and they changed the building. And, and I just, I remember saying to the group and I spoke to the group not too long ago, I said, to this group of fans, the building is nice. The team is more important. <laughs> you know, it just is. You can have the nicest building in the world, but um, the fans want to see a winner on the ice. All right, good stuff. On that note, we'll let you go. Thank you, as always, for the time uh, this week and the insight. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Look forward to chatting with you again on Monday. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend.